This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Jacob Media or its guests and do not reflect the views of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program is pre-recorded. PBF Energy wants you to know hidden rent costs are adding almost 30 cents to every gallon at the pump and pushing independent American refineries to the brink. It doesn't have to be this way. President Biden can lower gas prices and protect thousands of union refinery jobs by fixing the renewable fuel standard. And he should. Visit fuelingusjobs.com slash take action to urge President Biden to stop the RIN sanity and fix the renewable fuel standard today. And guess where this additional billion gallons of biofuel is going to come from? It's going to come from abroad. That's not an American first energy policy. We're in this together. Labor's in this. Building trades are in this. Refiners are in this. American consumers need us to do this too. Now across the Jacob Media Network, welcome to the Labor and Energy Show special. Exclusively presented by the PBF Energy Paulsboro Refinery and the PBF Delaware City Refinery in collaboration with the labor unions that build our communities. If you fix this RINs issue, you're looking at a reduction of 25 to 30 cents a gallon. This is the Labor and Energy Show, bringing labor leaders, national experts, and political influencers together to educate you about fancy terms like RINs and Reggie, while explaining the truth about energy independence. Welcome to the Labor and Energy Show with J-Doc and Krause. And welcome in, everyone, to another edition of the Labor and Energy Show with J-Doc and Krause. Man, oh man, J-Doc, we begin another week of the Labor and Energy Show. I think gas prices were at 659 uh, this morning here in the Philadelphia region. Uh, for diesel, it's a holiday weekend or when holiday weekends fall uh, and gas prices are that high. I think it should become easier for us to change the narrative. This is a labor and energy show. Yeah, Joe, we're getting into unprecedented times. Uh, no question about it. I'm ecstatic. We've got a great broadcast. Uh, and, and of course, we have the who's who in the labor, energy, and political uh, areas today. And, and we've it's just it's just a great show. And, and uh, I'm ecstatic to bring into the program Kathleen Scamma, of the, who's the president of the Western Energy Alliance. Kathleen, how are you? I'm great. How are you? We're doing great. Uh, it, it, it's great to have you on the broadcast. And, and if you would, um, for our for our uh, our listeners, can you briefly tell us ab- about your organization and, and and its members? Glad to. So, Western Energy Alliance represents oil and natural gas producers in the Rocky Mountain West. So, we bring a regional perspective to Washington D.C. on those issues that affect. Uh, the industry at the well pad in the West. So we focus on public lands issues, tribal issues, environmental, regulatory, air, water, anything that is going to affect the producer at the well site. Kathleen, how hard has that been uh, lately? Oh, you know, it's actually a lot of fun. And actually, lately, the environment, the, the environment has never been better. Now, we in the industry do not like when prices are this high. We want to be able to produce in the United States and bring a price to the consumer that is reasonable. Um, we want to be able to respond to these high prices. You know, the, a barrel of oil has been around 110 for a little while. Um, we want to be able to produce and bring those prices down. But 
We have been hit with several obstacles from this administration since day one when President Biden canceled the Keystone XL pipeline. And so whereas we would have been more nimble in the past to respond to the high price, produce more, and thereby bring it down, we have been blocked at several uh, junctures. You know, and, and, and having said that, the general public is going, you know, I mean, you're, you're, I'm, I'm sure you're hearing the same thing we're hearing. Um, is there any prognosis on that situation in, in regards to, um, you know, I, what the administration's doing when um, there can be some movement there so we can bring these prices down? No, not really. And, you know, the reason I was starting to say that the environment has never been better for me as far as trying to get policies changed is that for the first time, um, we've seen that the public is blaming the president on the high energy prices, not the industry. Despite efforts to blame us for price gouging and windfall profits and all of that, those efforts have not stuck because the public understands that this president has put in place so many obstacles to U.S. producers that he's actually, you know, gone to Russia and gone to Venezuela asking them to produce. Well, at the same time, he continues to put up roadblocks in front of the American producer. So we're using this environment to try to clear some of those roadblocks, but it is a bit slow going. So we know about pipelines. We know he canceled the Keystone XL pipeline. There are several other pipelines, Michigan, um, natural gas pipelines on the East Coast that are, remain blocked. The administration could do something about that because we don't. if we don't have a pipeline to put our product in, we can't really produce it because we can't get it to the consumer. So that's one thing. Um, we've seen on federal lands, which um, in the West there are, uh, you know, over 50% of the land is federal. And um, the president doesn't want any development, new development on federal lands. We've seen leasing stop there. Um, there's no indication that they're really changing anything about that. Interior Secretary Holland was before the Senate last week and didn't give any indication that she was interested in uh, moving forward with American production on federal lands. Um, we've seen overregulation. Those um, efforts continue. And um, the Securities and Exchange Commission is moving forward with a rule that is meant to ultimately deny financing to the oil and natural gas industry. Right now, it's very hard to get capital or get uh, lending from banks for oil and natural gas projects. And if you can't get money <laughs> for your project, if you can't get financing, then you can't drill a well because it's a multi-million dollar effort for each well. So there are many obstacles in place that we're trying to get the administration to take down and political pressure from voters and from consumers of gasoline are starting to have some effect on this administration. And Kathleen Scammon joining us here on the Labor and Energy Show. And Kathleen, i got to be honest, as I listen to you lay that out, you know, I'm sitting here with this dumbfound look on my face, and I consider myself <laughs> a listener of this show, not an expert. And I keep asking, why? What is going on? Why is the administration putting out a narrative? Listen, we want to change the narrative. The administration is putting out a narrative to say that this is part of some sort of a transition that we as the public need to get used to. 
I'm not buying it, and I hope all of our listeners, which, by the way, uh, are from the region here in Philadelphia to Jersey to Delaware to Virginia, right into the backyard of those in Washington, D.C., I don't get it. Right. And we had a moment of clarity last week from the president when he admitted that high prices are a result of this transition, uh, this climate change transition. You know, the problem is, in order to have an energy transition, you need something to transition to. And right now, we don't have an alternative that does everything that oil and natural gas do. So, of course, everybody likes to talk about wind and solar, but they're intermittent sources of energy. They're not able to to provide 24-7 electricity, and they don't really do anything for transportation. Um, I mean, even, you know, let's... We can get into EVs, electric vehicles, if we want, but even then, that's that's a huge transition sure. um, that I'm I'm kind of doubtful will happen. But you know, we don't have an energy source that can do everything that oil and ca- gas can do because simply wind and solar are not 24/7. Um, so you know, this transition is really about energy scarcity, and when energy is scarce, the price is high. So. If we want to talk about climate change and this this agenda from the administration, they're so married to their climate change agenda, which is designed purposefully to make energy necessarily skyrocket, and I quote President Obama on that, and when you cause prices to necessarily skyrocket, um, you see what you know, you see what the price is at the pump, and voters don't like it, consumers don't like it, so they're pushing back on the administration. The problem is right now the Biden administration is so married to the environmental left yep. that they really can't reverse course. Um, they've kind of lost that connection to the working class who care about getting to school and getting to work and bettering their lives and making, you know, having affordable energy. And they're so tied to that radical left environmentalist agenda that they simply can't back off on it. So we saw that when the Interior Secretary was before the um, Senate last week. We've seen it many times from the um, Energy Secretary. They simply can't let go of that climate change agenda, even though it's causing pain for consumers every single day. Now, and, and Kathleen, you know, it, it, of course, we're shooting ourselves in the foot, okay? And that narrative that Joe Krause is talking about in regards to the far left, ironically, uh, there, there's so much uh, information that the general public uh, doesn't have and does, is not educated on, like the fact that fossil fuels comprise five to 6,000 products that we use every day uh, in, 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 our, in our society. And, and at the end of the day, um, what I, I, I get a kick out of is just because the, the Biden administration uh, you know, wants to you know, shoot ourselves in the foot and obviously shut ourselves down at, when it comes to, to energy resources in the United States doesn't mean we don't need them. We're still importing them, and I don't see anybody picketing in at, at the ports when it happens. So having said that, Okay, and it's it's. I'm, I'm hoping that the that the general public, uh, obviously, with what's going on in the Ukraine, you know, so much happening uh, th- that I'm hoping everybody's waking up and understanding that we are just not going to transition uh, to renewables overnight. And we we've had individuals on this show talking about electric vehicles and and what it costs to mi- and you know mine them, uh, you know, overseas and the slave labor they're using and all those things. And that's a whole nother conversation. But let's 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 jump into 
into kind of the conversation we're talking about. So, so you know, I think we could have, uh, you know, had you on and discuss a ton of topics these days, but your editorial on this so-called climate disclosure rule that the, ES, uh, the, that, that the SEC proposed sparked our interest. And that's, you know, one of the things we want to want to discuss for our listeners. The Securities and Exchange Commission already requires companies to disclose and to disclose any reasonably known significant risks to their business uh, in, in their financial statements. That's correct. That's right. Um, since 2010, if companies um, have a material um, risk of cl- from climate change, in other words, something that is material to investors that would affect their assessment of an investment in that company, they already have to d- disclose it. But the SEC has come up with this rule, which is hundreds and hundreds of pages of very complex requirements on reporting climate change. I think the most egregious of which is that um, companies would have to report their scope three greenhouse gas emissions. Now, their scope one emissions are the direct emissions that they create. Their scope two emissions are the electricity they use. Okay, maybe it's reasonable to report those. But the scope three emissions are every single emission that results from their use of the the product they create, um, as well as all of the suppliers of that product, So a company would have to then go out and figure out what the greenhouse gas emissions are from every supplier down to every consumer, including, you know, how many hotel visits their employees, you know, use uh, on, on travel and how much waste they dispose of and what the greenhouse gas emissions are from that waste and how that waste, uh, the product is disposed of. I mean, just ridiculous amounts of information that one doesn't really know of. So let's take a farmer, for example, because we kind of think of ourselves as farmers as well, in a sense, and I can explain that later. But, um, you know, a farmer um, has all all these inputs and, and you know, when, when developing the crops uh, or growing the crops, there are fossil fuels used and burned, et cetera. Well, you know, General Mills, when it makes um, its cereal, would then have to talk to all of its farmers and find out what their greenhouse gas emissions are. It's kind of a ridiculous exercise because, you know, hundreds of uh, farmers farm and, and that goes into General Mills products. Same thing with oil and natural gas. You know, there are um, thousands of oil and gas producers in the country and, you know, each one, you know, may do a, some may do a better job than others of capturing their emissions and some, you know, may have this mix of oil and this mix of gas and, and a large company or a, your gas station, you know, your Conoco Phillips on the corner, um, that company would have to roll up all of those greenhouse gas emissions from all of its suppliers and report that to the SEC. Now, what in the world is the use of that information to an investor? Yep. How can that possibly provide meaningful inve- information to invest to an investor? And so this rule has some serious ramifications, and ultimately it is designed to elevate climate change considerations above financial considerations. And, and so having said that, the consequences of this uh, of this you know, so-called new rule um, are far-reaching. Talk, talk about them, and we're going to go to break. Joe's going to take us to break in about a minute, but if you would start that conversation, and then we'll finish it after the break. 
Well, a company would have to report what their risk is from natural disasters and weather events and, you know, all their greenhouse gas emissions down to the end use of the consumer. It's just all this information that would tri- almost triple the cost of reporting to the SEC. So when you do that, when you take it triple times, that means that the, the SEC would become this regulatory, this environmental regulatory agency. It's asking for emissions data that even the Environmental Protection Agency doesn't have the uh, audacity to ask for. So it's really about elevating, uh, you know, it's about redesigning our financial system so that it, it moves off from financing and capitalizing legitimate businesses into becoming a driver of climate change policy. That's not the remit of the financial system, and it's not something that the SEC has the authority from Congress to do. Kathleen Scamma joining us here on the Labor and Energy Show with J. Doc and Krause as we take our first commercial break. As J. Doc mentioned, we'll continue our conversation with Kathleen on the other side of the break. As we go to the break, are you sitting there with a question mark in your mind? I am. What's going on? Back in a moment. Thanks for listening to tonight's Labor and Energy Special. Now it's time for Did You Know? A public service announcement from the providers of this program. Did you know carbon capture and storage technology is one of the few proven technologies that can deliver deep emissions reductions in industrial sectors? Did you know? First chartered in 1903, Steamfitters Local 420 has been constructing and installing mechanical systems throughout the Delaware Valley for over a century. United by excellence, this local is proud to have worked on projects such as the Sun Oil Refineries, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and the stadiums for all our Philly teams. From helmets to hard hats, Local 420 represents the history of Philadelphia. Steamfitters Local 420, Jim Snell, business manager. Portions of tonight's Labor and Energy Special are being supported by the members of the labor union community, including Steamfitters Local 420, Jim Snell, business manager, the Eastern Atlantic States Regional Council of Carpenters, and the United Steelworkers. And back here on the Labor and Energy Show with J. Doc and Krause. Did you know, as we go into every commercial break, J. Doc, we will continue to inform uh, the listeners who are tuning in to the Labor and Energy Show. Did you know? Tune in every week. Yeah, we're here with Kathleen Scammer, president of the Western Energy Alliance. And we're talking right now about the the climate disclosure rule that the SEC proposed. And and, and so having said that, Kathleen, when we when we talk about this, um, you you know, our foreign state owned oil companies um, are that do they have to worry about this climate risk disclosure? Oh, I don't think the, uh, you know, Iran's and, and Russia's oil and gas companies care, or, you know, their national company cares about this at all. Um, so, yes, it does put American um, companies at a disadvantage compared to others. Now, that's an interesting thing, and we did some analysis on the information in the um, Securities and Exchange Commission's rule. And the justification that SEC uses for its rule is that, oh, all these investors are demanding this information. Well, it turns out, if you look at the numbers, about 50% 
of the investors that are demanding this information are European. Um, only 20% are American uh, of, you know, of the, these companies that supposedly are clamoring for climate change disclosure. <laughs> and we dug into the numbers a little bit more. And of the U.S. companies that have signed up for this, uh, you know, advocating for climate change disclosure, they represent about 7% of U.S. investment companies. So SEC is trying to say that there's all this interest and all this investor demand in climate change information. But really, it comes down to mostly foreign companies, mostly European, and um, in the United States, only 7% of investment management companies are really asking for this type of information. So it represents a small minority driven by the environmental left sure. that wants to defund and definance oil and natural gas here in America. And as you pointed out in the first segment, you know, if we don't produce it here in the United States, <laughs> that doesn't mean that people don't drive to work and school and heat their homes. That just means we have to import it from overseas. And so all we're doing is you know, destroying jobs in the United States, destroying wealth creation, and um, importing it and sending hundreds of billions of dollars to Russia and Venezuela or whoever else. But the real kicker is that we produce oil and natural gas in the United States in such an environmentally protective manner. Um, we are much more environmental, environmentally sustainable here in the United States and in Canada than in the rest of the world. So actually, the greenhouse gas emissions would go up yep. if we have to import from overseas. So it doesn't even solve the problem they supposedly want to solve. This whole thing is a mirage. It's like being in the twilight zone. This zombie. whole thing is a mirage. Kathleen, a uh, dumb question from a guy trying to understand it. How big is the environmental left, and why do they have the ability to control our lives? I don't understand it. You know, that's probably a segment, <laughs> probably a, like a triple or quadruple segment. The two-hour special, um, right? <laughs> the, <laughs> yeah. the environmental left is really well-funded. Um, and it, ironically, it's funded by quite a bit of old uh, Rockefeller and uh, other, <laughs> you know, old oil and gas money as well. There's something about um, people with wealth, and we see it, you know, at the World Economic Forum in Davos this week. You know, we see these global elites that just think that they want to control everybody's lives. Um, they want us to reduce our energy use. Meanwhile, they're flying around, around in private jets. <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, I don't know that I can totally explain why the left the environmental left is so well-funded. I think a lot of times people think, oh, I mean, we all want clean air and water and, you know, we want protected lands. Well, we have that in the United States, and we're also able to develop our energy because we do develop our energy in a responsible manner. And, oh, by the way, oil and gas take uh, um, so much less land to produce from than do wind and solar. If we replaced all our electricity with wind and solar, we'd carpet about a third of this country with solar panels and wind turbines, you know, if not more. So, you know, oil and natural gas, certainly it has environmental impacts, but we work really hard in the United States and we're heavily regulated to make sure that our impact on the environment is as low as possible. But you wouldn't know that from the environmental left 
who want to characterize oil and gas as completely evil and, you know, damaging to the environment. When, you know, it's a balance of providing energy that people can use. And if we do it like we do in the United States in an environmentally protective manner, we can do both. We can protect the environment and provide affordable energy. Now, when it comes to climate change, obviously the burning of oil, gas, coal um, creates greenhouse gas emissions. And those, you know, there's a consensus that they lead to warming. Now, how much and when is another story. But until we have an energy source that we can transition to and that completely replaces oil and natural gas, then the impacts from using oil and gas, um, we provide so much benefit to humanity that just taking it away would be worse than the, the projected effects of climate change that scientists predict out to 2100. So we have a good balance. We work hard to reduce our emissions. Um, we're working on things like carbon capture, carbon capture so that we take those carbon emissions out of the air as well. But, you know, even the Biden administration's Department of Energy projects that oil and gas will continue to increase globally through 2050. Even as renewables increase, um, oil and natural gas will still provide more energy, much more energy than wind and solar. So until we find an energy source that can actually replace oil and gas, trying to just get rid of us um, when, you know, we're not going away anytime soon unless there's some, you know, revolutionary breakthrough in science, um, we're going to be around for a long time. So what's the better way to do it? Create it here in America where we create jobs here in America or send that money overseas and import dirtier oil and gas. And, and I totally agree with that. Uh, you know, you mentioned carbon capture, and, and that was literally going to be my next question. Should we be spending our time, okay, working on carbon capture technologies that can, you know, e- even though our standards for the environment are higher than anywhere else in the world, okay, and you make an absolutely great point. Fact of the matter is, we shut ourselves down and emissions go through the roof because our entities overseas have way less standards if they have any standards. What, what, is your thought on focusing on technologies uh, like carbon capture and really, uh, you know, pushing in that direction right now uh, while we're uh, doing a transition, which, as you said, and it's obvious, uh, you know, we, we, we cannot do overnight? Well, you know, we should be doing several things to address climate change. We should be working to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. And we are. And we're proud in the oil and gas industry that natural gas is the number one reason the United States has reduced more greenhouse gas emissions than any other country. We do that because we're displacing coal and with natural gas, and that has less greenhouse gas emissions. Not zero, but about 50% less than coal. So we have done more than wind and solar to reduce greenhouse gas emissions in the United States. But we should do other things like um, carbon capture, and storage and, um, you know, adaptation, um, you know, things like sea level rise are projected to occur. Well, you know, we're not going to sit around. We're going to do what, you know, Holland did a thousand years ago, and we're going to, you know, ready our coasts for that. So there should be, um, you know, there should be research and development and efforts into adaptation. And then there should be research and development into the next energy source. And there, there is. 
you know, oil and gas companies spend a lot of money on research and development for alternative sources of energy as well. Um, so, you know, lots of things should be going on to address climate change. But just shutting down oil and natural gas is not one of them because, or should not be one of them, because people need energy. It betters their lives. It um, keeps them safe. Um, it saves lives. You know, we all your pharmaceuticals, vaccines are made from oil and natural gas. You want a 24-7 ICU and ventilators and medical devices, not, you know, just when the wind blows and the sun shines. So, you know, um, oil and gas delivers water to your tap and food to your table. Without us, those things don't happen. So people would be much worse off without oil and natural gas. So we need to do both. We need R&D for the next, the alternatives. We need to reduce emissions, which we are in the oil and natural gas industry. And we need to look at adaptation to climate change as well. And, and education. How many of our political leaders, uh, obviously the Biden administration, but how many of our political leaders, even on a state level, really don't understand? Uh, like we, we have the you know regional greenhouse gas initiative here in Pennsylvania, and, and, and the governor's doing everything he can to push that through. It's already been uh, it's already been approved, but uh, you know the, it, it's in court right now. I don't, th- and I have. Uh, we have a lot of friends uh, who are p- uh, political leaders here in the in, in, in the state of Pennsylvania. Obviously, organized labor is is, is a big part of uh, our initiative. How many of our, our political leaders don't understand a lot of these um, these facts when it comes to uh, y- you know fossil fuels and, and and transition and all those things? Well, I think it's a combination of willful ignorance and just you know, general um, not understanding where energy comes from. There's this thought from the environmental left that, you know, there's some perfect thing, and if we just get got rid of oil and natural gas, then, um, you know, alternatives would bloom and we'd all be taken care of. Well, we've really seen over the past six months what happens when you try to make it more difficult to produce oil and natural gas. Prices go up and prices affect consumers. You know, this this notion, oh, well, why, why didn't you buy an electric vehicle? And, you know, you should just all be driving electric vehicles. Well, first of all, they're more expensive. Their range is limited. And if everybody had an electric vehicle, we, we don't even have the electrical grid system to completely replace all of our transportation from oil to electricity. Um, and there's also studies that show that it's, you know, that electric vehicles don't necessarily reduce all the greenhouse gas emissions as they're billed for. One thing that I think is interesting is, again, by increasing the usage of natural gas in the electricity sector, we've reduced more greenhouse gas emissions in the United States than any other country. We've reduced, over just the last decade, the equivalent of putting 190 million electric vehicles on the road. We've delivered the same emissions with natural gas electricity generation. Now, how many EVs are on the road globally today? About 11 million. So getting to uh, 190 million electric vehicles is kind of a pipe dream right now because countries' electric grids can't support all that. So we've done something that's feasible, that uh, the technology exists today with natural gas, that others are trying to do with EVs, that's not going to happen by 2030. We're not going to replace all of our 
vehicles with EVs by 2030. Our electric grid simply couldn't support it. So let's get down to realistic solutions. And right now, natural gas um, is a lower carbon profile. It's reduced greenhouse gas emissions. Let's continue to use natural gas. Let's export it to Europe because it would be better if Europe was using American natural gas instead of Russian natural gas for obvious reasons now. Yep. yep. Um, you know, let, let's get realistic about our energy. And I think a lot of times politicians aren't really realistic because they realize that in 2035, you know, President Biden ha- doesn't have to worry about being president in 2035. So when his projections of all renewables or all EVs doesn't come true, he's going to be out of office and he doesn't care. Yeah. And, and you know what's interesting? Educating the public is so important. And that, that's our goal on this show, to let people know who just naturally would be saying, oh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm environmentally friendly, but have really no understanding of the information that you're providing right now. So, Kathleen, we really, really appreciate you being on the program. Um, a fantastic segment. So much, Joe. Yeah, no doubt about it, Kathleen. I'll let you know when we're going to do that three-hour roundtable conversation uh, yeah. about the, the the morale. I, I, I think it's a facade. I, I, anybody that wants to ever have a sit-down conversation to validate or justify, justify the other position Absolutely. doesn't have a chance. That's my. When you listen to the facts, it becomes a common sense discussion. Well, like Kathleen right? said, there's one thing missing in this whole conversation when it comes to the environmental left and a lot of our political leaders, and that is the facts. And that's what we're trying to do right now, Joe. And, and uh, we really appreciate it, Kathleen. Really, we had uh, we had so much to talk about here. We barely got to it. Obviously, we, we look forward to having you back on the program, Kathleen, and we appreciate your time. Fantastic segment. Anytime. Thanks so much, gentlemen. Really appreciate it. All right. That's good stuff. That's Kathleen Scamma joining us here on the Labor and Energy Show. J-Doc and Krause will return on the other side. Back in a moment. Thanks for listening to tonight's Labor and Energy Special. Now it's time for Did You Know? A public service announcement from the providers of this program. Did you know wind power depends on hydrocarbons? That's because inside those turbines are gears and axles, a generator, all sorts of moving and turning parts. And moving parts need lubrication. And lubrication means oil. Did you know? What's a Boilermaker? We're the skilled welders, riggers, and craftspeople who will help you grow your competitive edge. We step up when others step back, and we do the job right, on time, on budget, and safely. No drama, just results every time. We're the International Brotherhood of Boilermakers, and everything we do begins with our bond. Let's get to work together. Visit bestintrade.com. This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. Portions of tonight's Labor and Energy Special are presented by PBF Energy and supported by members of the labor union community, a collaborative to educate the public and change the narrative. And back here on the Labor and Energy Show with J-Doc and Krause. Great opening 30 minutes, J-Doc, with Kathleen Scamma joining us. Sure to be invited to our big Labor and Energy Summit as we start to put these quarterly summits together. We need to continue. We need to 
continue to expose the falsehood and change the narrative. Yeah, nothing, it's crazy, man. I sit here and my mind is spinning from all the absolutely. misrepresentation. Nothing but the facts, man. Yeah. And that's what the public's not getting. Um, I'm ecstatic right now to, to bring into the program Pennsylvania State Representative Martina White, who serves the Pennsylvania's 170th Legislative District. State Representative, uh, welcome to the broadcast. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate the opportunity to come on with you. Well, it's, it's great to have you. Jimmy Snell from the Steamfitters Union uh, gave us a call a couple of weeks ago, and uh, he sent us the, the link to the article as the Ukraine fights for its life, Philadelphia remains dormant. Okay. And, you know, that, that is a, a, a situation. That's it. That was in Forbes magazine. Okay. And in that article, uh, there's, a, there's a discussion about House Bill 2458. Um, you sponsored that House bill, which, if approved by the Pennsylvania Senate and signed by the governor, would create a task force to study how to establish a liquid natural gas export terminal in Philadelphia. Talk about that, if you will. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I was ecstatic to uh, have he actually texted me the same link. And what the bill would do is create a LNG task force for Pennsylvania. I worked closely with the governor's office to um, make sure that it was something that was agreeable to both our Democrat counterparts and something that would be good for our Commonwealth to explore. Um, basically, the, the task force would look into, you know, security, uh, different ways in which things have been preventing this type of LNG export location facility from being put into our, our area. Uh, right now, out in western Pennsylvania, in northeastern Pennsylvania, we have these huge cracker plants going in, uh, you know, $6 billion for each of them an in, in, in investment from private industry, uh, and thousands and thousands of jobs being created in those regions. What I want to see is the Philadelphia benefiting from the natural gas industry, um, even more than what we've already experienced in terms of lower energy prices uh, for our small businesses and families. Um, the LNG export facility could be huge in terms of jobs. And we know in Philadelphia, it's very challenging for families right now. Um, when they go to the gas pump, they, they see higher costs. Um, you know, we, we want to find ways to create good paying jobs. And I know that's something that, you know, you talk about on your show a lot. And when you are part of a trade organization, when you're in the labor, um, you know, movement, you guys understand how important those good paying jobs are. So having this task force put together, I think will be a very uh, big benefit to get this conversation moving forward for our Commonwealth and for our region in Philadelphia. Martina, let me ask you a blunt question um, about the governor's office. Do they support it or is it just lip service? Well, I guess we always uh, will find out when the bill gets to his desk. But, uh, you know, we negotiated the terms of the task force. Um, and I, I think they're genuine about, you know, moving this forward. I can't speak to some of the other areas of, of the natural gas industry and some of the proposals that have been put in uh, into the public arena. Um, I know, you know, Reggie has been a concern yep. uh, in terms of the governor joining joining that and wanting to join it. Um, and I know, you know, carbon tax obviously is, is a very tough thing for our Commonwealth because it would raise the cost of energy for a lot of our hardworking families out there. And right now, especially, they just can't afford that. 
But I think the, the idea of exploring a task force and exploring the idea to see what's prohibiting it from being able to be, uh, you know, from Philly having an LNG export facility, um, it, it, they seemed open to it. And like I said, we, we negotiated out the terms of it. So I think it'll go through uh, when it gets to a desk. What is the timetable? Timetable is the, my timetable is before June 30th when our budget, uh, you know, needs to be completed by for, for the state. And um, right now, you know, we, we've gotten it through the House. It's sitting over in the Senate. So we'll, um, you know, we'll, we'll continue to push hard over there and, and get it to the governor's desk before, before June 30th is my goal. You know, the, the article talks about, you know, Ukraine is in need. And we're seeing what's going on overseas when it comes to energy uh, and, and Russia's control. And we're dormant. It, it says Philadelphia is dormant. Um, this task force, with you know, the goal is obvious. Uh, the end game. Uh, when, you know, if all goes right on, on June 30th and, 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 and uh, you know, we, the Senate passes it and, and, the, um, and the governor signs it, um, the task force itself, that process, uh, what, what does that look like? And then when do we get down to the nitty gritty and start building, uh, you know, the, the facilities? Yeah, look, it's, it's, um, it's not something that's going to happen overnight, for sure. I mean, the task force is, is a step in the right direction, and it hasn't been taken in, you know, years, decades. Um, this hasn't been explored in Pennsylvania. So um, the fact that we're able to get this, um, like I said, moving and even, um, you know, introduced and moving in the, in the House and hopefully through the Senate and up to the governor's desk is, is a big deal for, for the state uh, because it, it's making national news. You know, it's making international news. We're the second largest producer of natural gas in the country in yep. the whole entire United States of America. So um, we have an obligation to ensure that all families in our state are benefiting from what's under, under our, our land. Um, but not just that, we have an obligation to not be heavily reliant on, you know, dictatorships. And unfortunately our, uh, German, the uh, country of Germany is currently in a really tough spot. They, their, their people do not like, uh, nuclear energy. So they don't have a lot of nuclear power plants. They don't have access to that low cost energy either. And they also, uh, were relying on Russia's pipeline to provide them with their natural gas energy. Um, and they mostly were relying on what is, become pretty unpredictable in terms of, uh, you know, the, the solar energy and, and these other more uh, green energy sources, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it's really tough for, the, for their people right now because they're stuck between a rock and a hard place. Where are they going to get their energy supply from? How are they going to make sure that people can turn on their lights and, you know, do their dishes and, you know, whatever else that, that they have in their household um, that's relying on, on energy? And that's where we come in. You know, Germany is right now trying to open up two LNG ports to receive nat- liquid natural gas uh, from ships from abroad. And we as Pennsylvanians have an opportunity to serve that need, but also make sure that we're serving uh, the needs of our own Pennsylvanians and, and our own national security needs in terms of energy first and foremost. But to help our allies abroad is obviously of, of uh, paramount concern. We need to ensure that 
allies abroad, uh, you know, have what they need to to uh, not be reliant on dictatorships for, for their energy supply, and instead relying on good, hardworking people like ourselves who are able to provide that. And that that's really the conversation that's happening on a more broad scale. Um, and I think that's where we have an opportunity to show to the world that Pennsylvania is really the keystone state. We are the key to energy, and that is, uh, like I said, on a global scale. So I'm excited about it. I'm really um, ecstatic that we were able to, like I said, negotiate this this uh, task force outright, and we'll, we'll be getting it ready to go soon. In terms of actually start to build an LNG export facility, obviously there's some federal permitting involved in that, and I know... Um, there's interest nationwide as to where those facilities and permits would be uh, put into effect. But um, there's that process as well as, um, you know, I would say it's probably quite a few years out. And based on the current administration's total disregard for uh, energy and what we do here and, and being swayed and motivated by uh, environmentalists, how realistic is it for you to think that that permitting that needs to um, be delivered or provided is even a realistic ask? Or timely at the very least. Yeah. Look, I... I don't know how quickly the administration federally would be open to um, allowing for Pennsylvania to have an LNG export facility, but I can tell you that the industry would be pushing very hard um, from from all angles. And the idea is, is that we meet with the governor and with our congressional delegation down in D.C. who represent our Commonwealth uh, with the federal administration to make sure that they, they hear us and that they know um, where we stand on this issue that we need to get this done so that Pennsylvanians can have uh, a stronger position as it pertains to, L- to uh, liquid natural gas and for, for energy costs for regular everyday working families. That, that's really the key in what this is all about. Um, you, can't, you can't make a switch to 100% green energy uh, resources without u- the utilization of, of natural gas. Um, and right now we see with our, our governor um, – you know, you guys were mentioning it earlier, some of the, the regulatory things that he's done to prevent the pipeline from going in from the West. Remember I was saying Western Pennsylvania has a big cracker plant. Well, the, the, the pipeline, we need to get it connected here in Southeastern Pennsylvania so that the natural gas is flowing to, to the riverside, you know, so that we can get it out and shipped to where it needs to go um, and supply, like I said, our allies and, and families right here in the Southeast who could, could um, really use the the lower energy cost. I mean, but, can governor um, can Governor Wolf make that happen with the, with a pen? Can well, we, well, can, listen, uh, that's where, the, that's where I'm confused. One of the things that Martina just said, she's talking about obviously. Uh, you know, we need fossil fuels uh, you know, when, it, when, it, when it comes to transitioning to renewable. How many of our, your colleagues in the House really understand that, understand that we just can't turn off our natural resources here of what you mentioned earlier is literally one of the, we, we have more, we have more, uh, you know, natural resources here uh, than almost anywhere in the country. How many people understand that, you know, we need them in order to survive and also, um, uh, you know, to, to transition to renewables? Yeah, you know what? I, I think there's a, a, a very good understanding of that on the Republican side of, of the chamber. Um, however, our, our Democratic counterparts are, are very, you know, just focused solely on uh, this, this 100% green energy and yeah, it has to happen right now. Yeah, we're, let's see. And, 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 
Yeah, that, that's the hang-up. Listen, we're, we're, we're members of labor. You know, I got it. Right. You know, I'm, you know we're, we're organized labor. I'm a Democrat, right? But just because I'm a Democrat doesn't mean I want to shoot myself in the foot. And let me just say this. Having said that, and we say this all the time on the labor show, we're going to say it on the labor and energy show, uh, labor's not a political party, okay? We support those who support us and these initiatives. And what's more important than being able to... We, we just had energy independence. Our thing is to educate our members obviously educate the general public because people are just getting swamped by the message of the, of the of the far left and i feel like our politicians our democratic politicians that are that are that are missing the boat on this are are just not seeing the whole entire picture our job here is to educate people this is not a political issue it's a, it's and it's not a human union issue like john Doherty always says it's a union it's a human issue so we really appreciate uh, what you're doing uh, martina white it's 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 such a an important initiative, and, and uh, you have our support. No, I definitely appreciate that sentiment. And like I said, I, I'm happy to work across party lines, and it's not a political issue. It's really, really not. What it comes down to, you're 100% right. It is a human issue. Um, it's a sustainability and national security issue. And on average, households right now that use natural gas, they, they heat their homes. They, they're able to cook on their stoves. They dry their clothes, and, and they save money by, by having the natural gas uh, accessible right here at home um, for all their different electric appliances. Um, they save like $900 a year just based on the using natural gas. Yeah, so We understand it. Um, yeah, and it, it really is. We're not sitting here saying we're not saying not to, you know, that renewables are are not a part of the future, and we're, there's not a transition. We're just saying reality has to jump in on this. Imagine uh, having wind solar mill, windmills across the board, and your loved one is at the hospital, and and that's how we're being powered. Now I'm sure it'll have generators, but my point is, it, it's it's just not a realistic situation, and the narrative has to be changed. And we hope that this bill, certainly in Pennsylvania, you know, is. is Starts uh, the process because we, you know, we can't keep going. This, this has ramif- This bill, by the way, has ramifications in Pennsylvania and around the world, uh, around no. the country, and around and the world. around the world. No I mean, right that. now, look at the article: Ukraine, Philadelphia is laying dormant. It, we shot ourselves in the foot, so we can't just react. Thank God, to, uh, you know that that the representatives' uh, legislation is underway. Hopefully, we can get this done by June thirtieth, and and then start the the rest of the process. Representative Martina White, thank you so much for joining the. The Labor and Energy Show, as J-Doc said, we support whatever you need. The platform is here. We thank you very much. You're wonderful. Thank you, guys. You take care. Be well. You as well. All right. Good stuff from Representative Martina White. That's going to do it for this edition of the Labor and Energy Show, uh, J-Doc. Man, I'm almost knocked off my chair because of the ignorance. Well, it's like being in the twilight zone, it's Joe. It's so Nothing strange, makes sense. brother. It's so strange. But the point is, if, 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 if we can educate our listeners, the members of the general public, Democrat, Republican, we care about the environment. We've said it a million times, okay? And, and you heard Kathleen Sagama. We, no, who, can, who can control that more than we can here in the United States? Why would we not only give our energy independence up, but also uh, the ability to, to, to regulate, uh, you know, the standards of, you know, with, with our environmental needs? So, um, you 
you know, that's the do, Joe. That's going to do it for this edition of the Labor and Energy Show with Jay Doc and Krause. Again, special thanks uh, to Kathleen Scam and Representative Martina White. We roll on, everyone. We hope you have a great weekend, and we will see you right back here on the radio dial one week from today. On behalf of my uh, partner, Jay Doc, I'm Joe Krause. See you next time, everybody. Thanks for listening to tonight's Labor and Energy Special. You can help. Call your congressperson before the upcoming midterm elections and join the movement to push back on RINs. This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Jacob Media or its guests and do not reflect the views of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program is pre-recorded. PBF Energy wants you to know hidden RIN costs are adding almost 30 cents to every gallon at the pump and pushing independent American refineries to the brink. It doesn't have to be this way. President Biden can lower gas prices and protect thousands of union refinery jobs by fixing the renewable fuel standard. And he should. Visit FuelingUSJobs.com slash take action to urge President Biden to stop the RIN sanity and fix the renewable fuel standard today.